I want to invite you to return with me this morning to our study in the book of Hebrews. It seems like it's been weeks and weeks since we have looked at Hebrews, and indeed it has. Uh, We're in Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 9 to 12. And I want to talk to you today about the subject matter, the confidence of a faithful life of ministry. The confidence of a faithful life of ministry. Uh, As you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I do want to mention several folks that we need to be praying for in our church family Uh, They're going through difficult times. Uh, Verlene Thompson, Verlene and Dan are up in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, She has now lost the third sibling in uh, in two years. The third sibling in two years. They had the service for her uh, younger brother last night. He was only 62 years of age. A very faithful follower of Christ. He was an elder in his church and... She said they just had a beautiful service uh, yesterday evening and a great tribute and testimony uh, to his life. So they're encouraged that they will see him again with Christians. It's never goodbye, but rather simply we'll see you later. Uh, We also want to pray for Kevin Knight Uh, this week. his uh, His niece, just 32 years of age, uh, passed away. And uh, that service is this afternoon in Lenore at 3 o'clock. And it is a private uh, family service at the graveside. So please remember Kevin and Molly and Kevin's family. And then, of course, Mary Ellen Hample in our church passed away this week. And uh, her service will be Saturday, May, uh, Saturday March 23rd. So it's not for another almost three weeks, a memorial service. Saturday, March 23rd, and we'll say more later about the time, the time still being nailed down. And then pray for Pat Norton, who recently lost her husband, uh, Henry Norton. She was taken to the hospital last night, CMC University, with heart issues. And so uh, pray for all of these folks in our church family. I hesitate to start naming names. I know I always forget somebody. Of course, we want to continue to pray for Zach Gurley, the brain tumor and the surgery and the treatments that he has uh, ahead of him. Uh, Pray for all of these folks and their loved ones. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? The confidence of a faithful life of ministry. Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 9 through 12. The writer of Hebrews says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
Father, we thank you for the invitation that you give us in your word. The call that you give us in your word. To be busy in ministry. Lord, each of us as believers in Christ are to be faithful in ministry. And you give wonderful promises and assurances that we find in your word. Lord, I pray that when you come or you take us home, whichever happens first, we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help each of us to make whatever adjustments we need to make in our lives that we will be found faithful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to think with me as I introduce chapter 6. Think with me a couple of other portions of scripture that have to do with ministry. And accountability one day and rewards. I think of the Apostle Paul. Paul, of course, was a Jewish rabbi who was saved on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9 records his salvation experience. He was transformed. He lived his life for the sake of the gospel. He gets to the end of his life writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. My life is being poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to them that love him. Then over in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 25, I think of that occasion where the master called unto himself... Uh, his servants and he gave one servant five talents one two talents and another servant one talent and the scripture says the master departed and he was gone for a, a long time and then after a long time he returned and when he came back it was the day of reckoning it was judgment day the day to give an account and those who had been found faithful were rewarded and rewarded greatly. I want you to think of those passages as we read these words right here in chapter 6. Now, the passage that we look at today here in Hebrews follows on the heels of one of the strongest warnings, one of the strongest warning passages that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. The writer is confident, though, about their lives. They have borne the fruit of a faithful Christian life, and they've poured their lives into the saints. Does a life like that matter? Indeed, it does. We should ask ourselves today, what is my life about? Am I investing in ministry? Am I a blessing to God's children in His church? Maybe you've wondered at some point, does it matter to God how my faith impacts other people? Isn't my faith only a personal matter between me and God? 
Is there really Christian reward and assurance? Any number of questions like that that perhaps you've asked. Our text today helps answer those questions. What we're going to see today is three things really. That true faith is demonstrated by what we do. It has a corporate application to it and it will be rewarded by God. First of all with me this morning I want you to see that there is an assuring transformation present in believers lives. There is an assuring transformation that is present in believers lives. Look with me again at verse 9. He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case beloved, we feel sure of better things, things belonging to salvation. Again, he's just given them one of the strongest warnings imaginable. And in that warning at the beginning of chapter 6, he was either speaking of people who claimed to be Christians but weren't. And their lives showed that they weren't. Or he was speaking of those who while being Christians were nonetheless in grave danger of giving up any kind of reward on judgment day because they were not faithful. But I want you to notice what he says here. He's confident of better things for them. He says things belonging to or pertaining to salvation. Now I don't know about you but I wish he would have specified a little bit more what he was referring uh, to here. But you know what? You and I can do a little bit of sanctified speculation can't we? When he refers to things pertaining to salvation. A little sanctified speculation because the rest of the New Testament gives us some ideas of what he might have meant by that phrase, things that belong to salvation. I want you to turn with me please back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and see what Paul says there to the church at Thessalonica because I think it's going to help us see what are some of these things that pertain to salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 beginning in verse 4 Paul says for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So the way we receive the word and the way the word of God transforms our lives I think is one of the things that pertains to salvation. Does the word of God impact your life in such a way that it brings transformation that's something pertaining to salvation he goes on there to say 
You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us what kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come and so what did Paul see in their lives that accompanied salvation as I mentioned the Holy Spirit brought conviction and change in them and then whereas they'd been like the world now their lives looked like Paul's life and other believers. They were imitators of believers. He goes on to say you you were experiencing great tribulation. But even though you were being persecuted greatly because of your faith in Christ. You had joy in your life. You became an example to others. You began to sound forth the word of God all over Macedonia and Achaia so that others could hear about Jesus too. You lived lives of repentance. You turned to the living God from idols. And then you lived with a hopeful expectancy, waiting. All of these things that Paul says to the Thessalonians surely refer to things that should accompany salvation. Things pertaining to salvation. So what's being said here? What is is the writer referring to? What's being said here is that where there is genuine faith in the Lord Jesus, there is a new response to the Word of God and there is life change. Life change. I've indicated to you before, you are not a believer simply because you say you are a believer. Jesus said in in Matthew 7, many will come to him one day saying, Lord, Lord, and he'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. If you are a Christian, your life and my life is going to show it. And it's not something that we have to work up and fake. It's just there from the moment that we are born again. Now, yes, it's true we will grow. And in that growth process, sometimes we'll take two steps forward and one step backwards. But nonetheless, there will be a difference in our lives. That's why the Bible refers to it as the new birth. The spiritual birth. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God made us alive in Christ. In other words, there's spiritual life where previously there was only spiritual death. Sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, I'm I'm so worried about my wife or I'm worried about my husband. I'm so worried about them because they come to church with me. But there's no interest that I see whatsoever uh, in their lives of the things of God or of the Word of God. 
as the Sunday school is, is, Sunday school teacher is teaching or you're preaching there, my, my mate is just sitting there on their phone, they're shopping or they're scrolling through other things. I've never seen him read the Bible. I've never seen him pray. I try to get him serving the Lord with me and he won't. I try to talk to him about going on a mission trip together. He's not interested at all. Pastor, what in the world is going on with my husband? Or pastor, what in the world is going on with my wife? I want to be careful here because only God knows somebody's heart. But folks, when somebody describes something like that to me, you know what it sounds like? It sounds to me like there is a person who has never experienced the new birth. They've never come alive to the things of God. The light bulb is still off. They are dead while they're living. You see, as he says here in verse 9, there are things that pertain to salvation. There are signs of life. Where there is spiritual life, there is to be a sign of spiritual life. Now, it's just like in the case with physical life. There are signs of physical life. Somebody goes down to the morgue and talks to the medical examiner. And he pulls a guy out on a shelf and you ask the medical examiner, uh, what's his pulse? What are you talking about? He doesn't have a pulse. He's dead. What's his body temperature? He doesn't have a temperature other than the room temperature. Why? Because he's dead. Where there is life, there's signs of life. Spiritually, it's the same way. Where there is spiritual life, there are things that accompany salvation. Amen? The New Testament helps us with this. One of the simplest books in the Bible that helps us with this is the book of 1 John. John gives three tests of spiritual life. The belief test. Do you affirm what the Bible says about the person and work of Jesus Christ? Number two, the obedience test. Has it changed your life? Do you love obedience to God's word? Do you love his commandments? Do you love the things of God? And number three, do you have a new attitude toward the brethren? Do you love the brethren? Belief test, obedience test, love test. Three simple tests. And in any believer's life, we ought to see a change in each and every one of those areas. And then as a, a believer abides in Christ, and Christ in Him, and the Holy Spirit abides in us, what's going to be produced in our lives? The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 and following. Things like love and joy and peace and long-suffering and meekness and self-control. He lists the ninefold fruit of the Spirit there. Again, folks, where there is spiritual life, there ought to be signs of that in my life and in your life. I think about what happened in my own life, and please don't misunderstand. I am, I am so far away from being 
what I ought to be. I know that. And that's, that's not false humility. The more I grow in my Christian faith, the longer I'm a Christian, the further away that I see in myself of what I ought to be. I see progress, which is important, but nonetheless, I'm far away from being what I ought to be. But when I was saved, all of a sudden, the thing that I wanted most was a Bible, and I got into the Word. Along with the Word, when Sundays and Wednesdays rolled around, I wanted to be in church. I wanted to be with other Christians. I wanted to study the Bible. I loved preaching. I loved mission trips. I loved things of that nature. On Wednesday nights in college, even though I lived an hour away from a home church, every Wednesday night as a college student, I drove home uh, to be there at my home church and then went back. Why? I love the Word. It It didn't hurt matters that there was a young lady there that I was about to ask to marry me. I mean, that didn't, that didn't hurt matters. But nonetheless, I loved being with God's people. Now, the only reason I share that is simply to point out the transformation. Is that the only changes that should occur? Of course not. As you grow in the Lord, there's so many things that He begins doing in your life. And where there is sin in your life, the Lord begins convicting you of that sin and dealing with you over that. And sometimes He does so in dramatic ways. Sometimes He does so slowly over a long period of time. Maybe your besetting sin has been gossip. Little by little, God's been dealing with that in your life. Maybe you're not kind or patient with people and the Lord's been dealing with you over that but I hope you see what I'm saying when he says that there are things that accompany salvation you see that in your own life there are going to be things in your life that the only way to explain those things now is because of the fact that you are a Christian You say, Scott, do you ever take two steps forward and one step backwards? No. I take two steps forward and 20 steps backwards sometimes it feels like. But again, the overall testimony of your life is what? In the direction of transformation and growth. And I hope you can see that in your own Christian journey. Never, ever give up. You have to keep pressing forward. And you can't be discouraged if here you are, you're wanting everything to happen by 5 o'clock Friday, next Friday night. The Lord doesn't work that way, does He? It's slow. Again, it's over the course of your life. It's slow. It's methodical. But again, there there is an assuring transformation that is present in believers' lives. You're going to be able to look at your life and see God's fingerprint, so to speak, on your life. If I looked at my life and did not see God's fingerprints on my life, it it would at least bare minimum cause me to examine my heart.
But where you look at your life and you see God's fingerprints on your life, what does it do? It gives you assurance. It gives you confidence. Amen? Second thing I want you to see with me this morning. God remembers and rewards His children who live faithful Christian lives. Look, look, beginning in verse 10, he says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. One of the assurances that that we have woven all through the Bible is that God is good. He is a good God. He's a good God. And as part of that goodness, He's just. Now, the justice of God works both ways. I want, I want you to understand that. Sometimes people will, will ask questions like, if, if God is real, then why is there so much evil in the world and suffering in the world? Why doesn't God deal with that if God is just? When I hear somebody ask a question like that, why doesn't God deal with it? It makes me realize that's probably somebody who hasn't actually read their Bible. Because when you read your Bible, you see that God is dealing with it and God will deal with it. Folks, that's what the entire redemptive story in the Bible is all about. God is dealing with sin. He is dealing with Satan and with evil. And one of these days, sin, Satan, and evil will be Banished forever and ever and ever. Dr. Vance Havner, probably the most quoted preacher ever, once said, I'm so glad that just as there's no Satan in the first two chapters of the Bible, there's no Satan in the last two chapters of the Bible. God is just. And he's going to deal with all the evil that's in the world. Again, that's what the redemptive story in the Bible is all about. God is going to set things right. And he is going to make things new. But even now on the positive side of the equation that God is just. The writer of Hebrews is pointing out here that God is just to remember your work for him. Folks, Christian labor, Christian ministry is not in vain. Write down 1 Corinthians 15, 58. What does that verse say? Paul says, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's a verse that falls right on the heels of Paul talking about the resurrection. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're one day going to experience the consummation of our salvation. In fact, we're going to see the consummation of the entire story of redemption when God makes all things new. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ makes all of this a reality. Therefore, be steadfast. 
Because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If there were no resurrection of Christ, then you would not be raised. The end would simply be the end. That would mean that everything we currently do would be in vain because we would all be simply headed towards nothingness. But because God has defeated sin, death, the grave, and Satan, his people will one day be with him for all of eternity. And that means that faith in Christ and service for Christ is really the only thing that ultimately matters. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and a faithful Christian life will be rewarded. Anything you do for the Lord will not be forgotten. Folks, do we realize that? So much of what I do in my life, and I'm sure so much of what you do in your life, is going to be a big fat zero at the judgment seat of Christ. But whatever you do for the Lord will never, ever be forgotten. God is a just God. And he keeps perfect records and he knows. Amen. Now the application of verse 10 here. The fact that God will remember your labor for him. The application of this is interesting. There's there's two different ways of looking at it. They both come out at the end at the same place. But remember what I've told you one theory of the book of Hebrews is? And it's a theory of the book of Hebrews, quite frankly, appeals to me. One theory of the book of Hebrews is that the book was written to Jewish priests who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Those priests, for example, in Acts chapter 6. That became obedient to the Lord. They they knew all about of course the Old Testament sacrificial system. All of the stuff that went on in in the temple worship. We we see all of these allusions in the book of Hebrews. That that the average Hebrew would have known about. but, But not like the priest. Because they would have been the ones in the temple doing all of these elaborate rituals. Now these priests are in the church and as, pre, as Jewish priests they had a high standing in the temple. But, but now they're being persecuted because they're Christians now. They're being persecuted and so many of them are thinking about going back to Judaism. And he's been telling them that they can't do that because if they go back to Judaism, they're not going to find God in that. God is not dealing with people anymore based on the old covenant. He's dealing with people on the basis of Jesus Christ. And so they need to press on in Christ. They need to grow. And just like they were teachers in the temple, they need to be teachers In the church, the bride of Christ. If that theory is correct, the writer is telling them here in verse 10. He's encouraging them saying, look, God is not unjust. God knows everything that you've done as a priest to minister there in the temple and to minister to God's people. 
God knows everything about it. He's not forgotten anything you've ever done for His namesake. You need to be encouraged, He's telling them. You are not forgotten. Folks, that ought to be an encouragement to anybody who serves the Lord. God knows everything you go through. Sometimes people think ministry is easy until they do it and then they see otherwise. There's a myth going around that there are about 1,700 pastors per month that walk away from ministry. It's not true. The real number is about 250 to 300. Still a big number, but not 1,700. Guys who are walking away from ministry, they need to hear this verse right here. They need to be encouraged. God has not forgotten what you've done for His saints. You need to get back in the battle and you need to press on and you need to fight. Now, what if He's not writing to priests? What if He's just writing to everybody in general in church? Folks, it's the same truth. The very same truth, whether or not you're a a minister in the sense of the formality of it or not, the same truth is present. If you work there in the nursery, you work with kids, you work with youth, whatever area of the church you work in, ministering to the saints, praying for the saints, visiting them in hospitals, in nursing homes, praying for them, interceding for them, guess what? What we do for him is not forgotten. You're not forgotten. You might say, nobody ever sees what I do. Nobody appreciates what I do. Well, I tell you, God knows what you do. God knows. Keep on keeping on because God knows. And your reward is going to come from God one day. You and I need to remember that in the church. Folks, here in the West, we need, we need to see something because in the West, we are lone rangers. We think of just ourselves, but New Testament faith is not lone ranger. God has made you a part of a body, a body of believers, the church. And as we're going to see in chapter 10, it is nothing short of direct disobedience to God to, to, to not be active in a church. We're to be active, we're to be praying for one another, encouraging one another, stirring one another up to love and good, good deeds and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the promise here is God will recognize your work for Him. Two different people have shared something with me this week that apparently is going around in the church family. I, I've not seen it. I don't personally do Facebook. Two, two different people or two different groups have shared with me. One of you said it's made your grown kids angry. It's this thing going around on Facebook. Your kids have a, what is it, a... Point zero zero two, one hundredth of a, 
uh, to what a thousandth of a chance of becoming a professional athlete. But your kids have a 100% chance of standing before the judgment seat of Christ one day. Help your kids to choose wisely. It's true, isn't it? We live in a day where people have forgotten about the church. Anything else but the church. Anything else that comes into my life, I'll set the church ministry aside for it. But church matters. He's saying what you do for his body matters. And one day, he's going to reward you for it. One day, he's going to recognize it. We wouldn't agree with Cyprian of Carthage. He was a bishop, bishop in that area of the world from 200 A.D. to, to 258 A.D. But he said, no one can have God as his father who doesn't also have the church as his mother. We wouldn't agree with that fully. But there's certainly something powerful in what he's saying. He's saying the church matters. It's the bride of Christ. And a Christian ought to want to be a part of a body of believers where he can invest in the lives of the saints. You don't have to have the church to be saved, but it's debatable as to whether or not a genuine Christian will ignore the church and neglect the church. I had Jesus read that parable, the parable of the, uh, had, had Jonathan read it, the parable, G- Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats. Because as they ministered to the least of those, they didn't realize they were ministering to the Lord himself. That's how ministry is. Now, growing out of the fact that God remembers and God rewards, he has a word of admonition to them. Look look at verse 10 and 12. He says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same, the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He wants them to imitate those who have been faithful. And he goes on to give the example of Abraham. What do we learn from Abraham? We see in Abraham that genuine faith cost. He left his father's land and family. He struck out to a new area where God was leading him. When he got there, he faced trials and tribulations. Some of those trials, he failed. Some, he won. But overall, the direction of his life, he was faithful to God. He persevered, he obeyed, and he waited on God. Abraham, he is saying, becomes a true example to us of of genuine faith, of things that accompany salvation. His life was changed as a result of his faith in God. His faith impacted other people for the good. 
His faith was always present tense. And he had to persevere and overcome hardships. And in the end, we see what? We see that God rewarded him. So everything the writer of Hebrews has said in verses 9 through 12, he goes on in verses 13 and following to point out that Abraham perfectly embodies everything that he's just said. You see that? Now how about you? How about you this morning? What about your example? Are there things in your life that accompany accompany salvation? Is there the evidence of the new birth in your life? Folks, one thing you cannot see in me and one thing I cannot see in you is that heavenly exchange that took place on that day when we were born again. That's that's a transaction between the believer and God that's invisible to the naked eye. But where that new birth has happened, the life shows it. To where those in your family and those in your church family can see the difference. Things that accompany salvation. Is that the testimony of your life? Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because nothing but the new birth could explain that. You follow what I'm saying? It's it's only the new birth that can explain that kind of transformation in your life. Because the natural man is not interested in the things of God. Where there's an interest in the things of God in your life, where there's an interest in your life in, in being obedient to the Lord, all of that is a sign that God has done that marvelous work of conversion in your life. So be encouraged. Keep on investing in the saints. You may or may not get a great deal of encouragement. But everything is written down in heaven. The book of Malachi talks about God keeping record books. Everything you do, God's keeping a record of it. Everything you do for the saints, He will remember one day. And He will reward you. And what is done for one another, it's as though you are doing it unto Him. Be faithful. This passage right here is a tremendous... Folks, it's one of the greatest encouragements you'll find anywhere in the New Testament to keep on keeping on ministering to the saints. Because one of these days you'll stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And everything you've done will be rewarded. God is a just God. And He will not forget. 
Is ministry worth it? You bet. You bet it is. Where is your life involved in ministering to the saints? We're we're gifted in different ways. God's put us together in different ways. What one person's giftedness is, not necessarily the other. That's the beauty of being the body of Christ where different members function together. What's your part of the body? And are you using that to be a blessing to God's church? If not, get on board because it matters. Not only will it matter to the people seated with you now on the pew, but it will matter in that day when you stand before the Lord. And He takes account of your life. It'll matter. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for how he has intended in chapter 6 not only to warn, but to encourage. Help us to understand both aspects. Father, I pray for those in our church family who, who labor. They labor in your fields. Some in the nursery, and they're seldom recognized. Some as teachers, some as greeters, some in the choir, some working with youth, some with women's ministry or men's ministry, others who are so faithful in visiting the sick and caring for those who have needs in their lives. Lord, help them to see this morning that you know all about it. You know all things. And their reward will come from you one day. Lord, help them not to be discouraged, but to press on in faith, in full assurance, and in hope. And Lord, where we have been tempted to live our Christian lives for ourselves in isolation from other believers as lone rangers, forgive us of that and help us to understand the corporate nature of our faith in Christ. That we're to help others. And when we do so, we bless you So, Lord, bring change where it's needed. Bring encouragement where that's needed. If there's somebody here this morning who says, Pastor, I'm not even a part of the body of Christ. I've never been saved. Lord, convict them to come to Christ today. And as they do so, help us to love them and pray for them and disciple them. That they can be everything, God, that you have saved them to be. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.